I'm Ben Clunt. And I'm Stephen Brown. We're two entrepreneurial professionals based in Spokane, Washington. Join us on our journey to make 2019 the most prosperous of our lives. We'll bear all as we strive to improve all aspects of our business and our health and fitness, as well as our relationships personally and professionally. We aim to offer impactful insight into our business and personal lives. We'll share the good, the bad, and the ugly throughout our journey. With the ultimate goal of our business and fitness being in the best shape of our lives at the close of 2019. You are listening to the Ordinary to Extraordinary Podcast. Today's topic, disruption, positive and negative. You are never allowed to ever welcome people like that. So, Welcome to today's podcast. <laughs> so we're not doing We'll talk about disruption. Today we're going to talk about disruption, positive, negative, industry disruption, daily disruption, and how we can make it both part of a routine and how we can take away the negative disruptions. Yeah, and use it to innovate. And purge. And purge. <laughs> Isn't there a movie about that? Yeah. yeah, not the purge. How we purge our lives. Oh, negative. interesting. So let's jump into it. Yeah. So I guess we should probably start with some examples just to make sure you guys have got it front and center. What disruption actually is and what it looks like or can look like. If we go back 15 years from now, Ben, quick math. What year would that be? Oh, mental math. You're going to ask the guy. It's 2004. So oh, it's 2019 now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so Ben's, Ben was confused there. We caught him out. Anyway, so in 2004, Blockbuster was hands down one of the best performing companies on the S&P 500. Fast forward 15 years, Blockbuster does not exist, at least not in the way that it did. They used to Is see it them. Hollywood Video or Blockbuster? <laughs> that there's one left. I think it's Blockbuster. There's literally yeah. one left. Well, either way, you would have bought stock in 20, 2004. You would have bought stock up, you would have held it, you would have been thinking this is a great industry, they keep growing, they're putting new stores in every every town you go to in America and throughout the world. And then 15 years later, they are non-existent or if, if you, for want of a better term, just completely irrelevant because Netflix and Redbox came along. Redbox lets you keep a movie for as long as you want, doesn't charge you extra fees, um, just the daily only, fee. Yeah, only if you and keep the movie longer. Netflix, Hulu, Amazon Prime, I mean, you've got amazing movies and shows and, and things on those. Guess what? You only pay one monthly fee. You can watch as much as you want. You can rewatch. Uh, you can pause. You can do everything. Was it Netflix or was it Redbox that Blockbuster got the opportunity to buy? Do you remember off the top of your head? Do I believe know? it was Netflix. I think um, it was Netflix as well, too. Because so Netflix Talk about disruption, though. Yeah. They thought that they were going, that they were so big, basically, mm-hmm. that they couldn't fail and that Netflix was not going to overtake them. And then, to your point, 15 years later, they got the opportunity to buy Netflix, and it was like for $100 million or something like that, I yeah. think is what the number. And now, I mean, Netflix is a billion-dollar company. I so do it's think like, it's important to point out that Netflix, to this point, at least I believe, is not profitable yet, but they are sinking a lot of money into it with the idea of making money down the line. So I'm not certain on that. But the idea with Netflix, though, even, is, I mean, 
Netflix started out like you would get a disc in the mail, right? Yeah. So it's like you used to get a disc in the mail with Netflix, and now more people stream Netflix than they do actually get a disc in the mail too. So yeah. even within a 15-year period of time, they were innovative enough to see like, oh, maybe we should disrupt even our own industry of receiving this yeah. DVD in the mail and start streaming it to people's laptops and smart TVs. Yeah. So I think, I think it's kind of testament to being nimble and being able to adapt quickly to or having some kind of futurist employed to kind of keep an eye on yeah, it's what's called an happening. R&D department. Yeah. yeah. Actually, Ben and I have serious disruptors in our own industry. So in my industry, it used to be that someone would walk in or call you, set an appointment, tell you, hey, we're going to charge you this percentage, take a credit card, they take their cut, everybody gets paid, bang out the door. And then Square came along. While Square's a great fit for some people, it's not a great fit for others. But what they did was they said, we're not going to make you sign a contract. We're going to take a flat rate. So if you are if you know how much you're going to do each, each month, then you can basically know what your costs are going to be. It's not a fluctuating thing. You're not going to be at the mercy of, of us and our honesty. Square came in and completely made the payments industry a little bit disrupted. I mean, nobody knew what to do with them. They were taking customers off a traditional... Um, what we call acquirers, mm-hmm. left, right, and center. And then the e-commerce space came along. So yeah, e-commerce completely changed retail, completely changed restaurants because people wanted to order online. And then point of sale companies were, were threatened when people started writing development for iPad and Android. So now you can have a point of sale on an iPad and be out the door with a drawer and a, a, a printer well, and people credit can go card to Costco, reader. right? Yeah. Buy, you can go to Costco and buy a point-of-sale system now, Yeah, you too. can be I out the door for $1,500 instead of a legacy point-of-sale system, which sometimes run fifteen to $20,000. Mm-hmm. What it did was it took a lot of power away from companies like Micros, Aloha, or NCR, and it, it really put the power back into the, the business owner. Um, and mine, really, in the financial advising kind of wealth management space, too, we've seen the rise recently of a lot of robo-advisors, right? Like People can go on now. They can pay uh, a fee, which is usually lower than that of working with an investment advisor, and they can get the opportunity to invest in an algorithm-based portfolio. Uh, I mean, I do think... This is me defending our industry, though. I do think that it's very different because it's been proven most of the time, even through a Vanguard-type passively invested thing, that an advisor is worth usually 3 to 4% outperformance. And a lot of that is because of that behavioral uh, finance, right? Over what kind of time frame are they talking 3 to 4%? Like the life of the account or 10 years, 5 years, 20 years? Uh, on an annualized basis is what it was. So wow. that's massive. Well, yeah, that is. I mean, because you think about it, right? I mean, this kind of could tie in with disruption as well, too, is the idea that, like, if sometimes you can't stand, you can't get out of your own way. It's like you can be the disruption in something that is positive in a negative way. Like, instead of being able to have positive returns, you might be so emotionally distraught because the market went down by 10% that you disrupt your process and the process is really what's going to lead you to success, right? So that's where the advisor really has outperformed uh, with a client is when it's on the behavioral finance side of things too. Not necessarily from a purely investment, I'm going to beat an index standpoint, but when they're working with a client and they're able to help them develop a plan and develop a process that the client follows. Yeah, and the other one that's that springs to mind in Ben's industry is E-Trade and, and, you know, sort of day trader companies that you can do online. As long as you have an account, you know, you can be that guy that essentially is playing the stock market in your boxer shorts on your couch 
with stains all over your t-shirts and never leave the house and technically make money. I think their advertising was phenomenal a few Super Bowls ago, the little babies and the Shankopotamus and the little, I mean the E-Trade babies. If you haven't seen those yeah. commercials, it's worth looking up on <laughs> YouTube. Are, the commercials are good. They, yeah. they made it relatable to everybody. So everybody and their dog or their baby had an E-Trade account. Most didn't use it or utilize it. And I know some people that lost their butt on E-Trade mm-hmm. because they were, oh, I think I can predict the market. And quite frankly, nobody can predict the market, at least not consistently. Yeah. <laughs> and so then I guess the other type of disruption that we were kind of talking about, there was industry disruption, and then we were talking about more personalized disruption, like in your daily routine, right? So, I mean, there's people who will walk in your office and disrupt you in the middle of an email. There's people, your phone goes off, you get a phone call, you take the same routine. I mean, you, there's all these different things where we talked about personal disruption. So it's like, for me, even I take a different route home sometimes just to mess with my routine. Uh, I'll turn my phone on, do not disturb, so I don't get disrupted. So we're going to talk about some of those types of things in our personal lives, maybe, where disruption, we see kind of pop its ugly head up every once in a while and some of the things we do to deal with it too. Give you guys another couple of examples, things that we thought might be kind of relevant. Taxis, we all use Uber and Lyft, especially when we travel. It used to be you used to get off the airport or, or off the airplane at the airport and you either had to get a shuttle bus or you had to wait in line to get a taxi. For instance, when I lived in Chicago, you would jump off at either Midway or O'Hare and you were 20 minutes in a cab minimum if there's no traffic and before you know it you're at 50 or 60 dollar fares and now with uber and lyft you're getting to where you want to be in the same time for maybe half the cost and it took a lot of the market share from the taxis like taxis are still around they haven't totally died like blockbuster but they've lost a lot of market share to uber and lyft but it also somewhat self-regulated the taxi industry in some cities so whether it was new york city or las vegas which that you never used to be able to get Uber or Lyft in either city because mm-hmm. people were paying millions of dollars for for a medallion, medallion yeah. to be able to run a, a taxi cab because they, they were limited how many they could have. Again, completely self-regulated the industry and, and basically dropped the value of those medallions by a lot. You want to buy a, 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 a cab and a medallion for a million dollars or do you want to buy a Toyota Camry and turn it into an Uber? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And not have to pay a big portion of it back to the taxi company or that million dollar up front. I mean, that was a big barrier of entry, right? Mm-hmm. So, so somebody saw a big barrier of entry and found a solution to get around it. Yeah. And we all, I mean, I shop on Amazon weekly, daily. Actually, the equipment we're using to record this podcast came from Amazon. Quality yeah. stuff. We had it in a couple of days after ordering it. Um, didn't have to go to Best Buy or Sears or any kind of retail store and those are the those are the guys that are really struggling with the with the brick and mortar retail space yeah i do um, think some of them are getting smarter though even those brick and mortar retail stores like best buy you can buy a lot of what they have online and ship it directly to your house now yeah. too it's like they're getting smarter they realize hey maybe we taper down our our square footage of our retail stores and focus on our e-commerce square footage right and expand our website expand those capabilities yeah, but. and it, it used to be you needed a license to broadcast. It used to be you would listen to talk yeah. radio and you got maybe two or three hosts a day. Well, we're kind of disrupted. We're part of a disrupted industry, <laughs> right? So podcasts are everywhere. You can be on Spotify. You can be on 
Apple, you can be on Stitch or you can be on SoundCloud and you don't need a license for it. You record it, put it up there. You know what? You just buy a couple of mics and a mixing board on Amazon and get it shipped to your house and then all of a sudden you're recording like us. When was the last time you listened to NPR? For a lot of self-help, for a lot of business, for a lot of fitness and health. I mean, podcasts and audiobooks are, are the way that people have gone. So, yeah, I mean, every day we all experience disruption. This morning I was just talking to my mum, my dad and my brother and his wife. We're going to Orlando in April and we didn't book a hotel to go to Disney. We're getting a, a villa. I mean, for the price of what we would have paid for each room, each so we basically cut our cost by a third because we're going to get a huge villa with a pool and beautiful kitchen and you know we're going to be comfortable but we did it on vrbo instead of booking through disney or booking a traditional hotel yeah but so that was your personal disruption you're getting into a little bit which is which is good maybe we go that direction for a little while now too yeah it uh i mean there's personal disruption just in general in life right people have bad relationships sometimes you need to 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 change up the bad and with something a little good disrupt the negative mm-hmm. even and uh, like we're disrupting your routine idea we talked about following a roadmap for when you're learning an industry or when you're just getting to know each other in a relationship maybe even you follow kind of a routine of what's worked in the past but at the same time and we talked about this when we were having a kid it's like sometimes you, you throw away the book after a while it's like we, we started reading some of these books when we first had Weston, and it's like, oh, your baby should be sleeping these times. It should be, and then you start to get all worked up and worried <laughs> that your baby's not sleeping during these times. And I was telling my wife, it's like, yeah, but we're assuming that all babies are the same in this, right? And that everything works the same, and that's just not how it works. Sometimes you need to disrupt the routine. You need to disrupt what the book says so that you can actually achieve some success or find some solution that might work for you, right? So sometimes this disruption isn't always necessarily just for innovative purposes, but just to find a solution that works for you. We were talking about the idea of disruption earlier and how disruption leads to growth, right? So even in a personal personal thing, it's like, I like to disrupt the routine. I like to do things a little differently because it expands my norm. It makes me learn something new. In our workouts, like I'm disrupting a lot because <laughs> I didn't work out. So I'm learning a lot of new things because it's disrupting my routine. Sometimes I'm having to get up at a god-awful hour, which I don't like to get up at, to go to a gym, which... And then change and get ready at a gym, which I really don't like doing because it gets in with my coffee time when I can sit and have coffee in the mornings and think and then work out. I've got to learn all these workout routines. So it's disrupting my normal routine, which is ended up being a positive thing, right? I'm getting healthier. I have more energy. I'm talking more on podcasts. (laughs) (laughs) And your pants are fitting differently, right? And my pants are looser. I had to go in a belt loop. (laughs) Which is awesome. Yeah, and on that personal disruption side, in the, in the growth and learning part, if I had listened to some of the, the more traditional people in my industry, I would have left it two and a half mm-hmm. years ago. And what I, I guess I mentioned this earlier, in my industry, it's expected that you go and visit business owners every day. You bang on doors, you cold call. Cold calling sucks. I've gotten good at it. I try not to do it. Everything I've set up for the last two years is in an attempt to try and limit the amount of cold calling I have to do. I still do it, I still can do it, I'm still proficient at it, but my idea is to have centers of influence all over the place that I can come to them and say, who do you know that I should know? Mm -hmm. Who do I know that you should know? How do we feed each other business? You know, throughout 
the last two years, even four years that I've been doing this. This year's my anniversary, by the way, four years at Heartland. Four? Um, four years at Heartland this month. On the 28th is my official hire date. But yeah, in those four years, I've gotten to the point that I am a connector and I want to be a resource to people. So I disrupted what was expected of me and laid down a marker two years ago with, with multiple people in my industry that are both colleagues and in elevated positions and told them I don't want to do it this way I'm going to change it up. Sometimes on that path you're going to find not necessarily a better way but a different way that suits you, your personality, your mindset much better than how people have done it before. In Ben's industry it was expected in the 1980s to pick the phone up and call 100 people a day. Yeah, for dollars. So can you imagine dial in someone's house now and saying, hey, I'm Ben Clint and I'm a financial advisor and I want to talk to you. How much do you earn and how much money do you have to invest? <laughs> I mean, they're going Murr? to, ch- they're going to, uh, not that that's the way you would do it necessarily, but they would have chased you. They're, they're going to not even answer first and foremost, how many people still have a house phone? Yeah, you can't. Now you got to call, <laughs> try and get their cell phone number, right? I know that Ben utilizes LinkedIn, Facebook, you know, he's, he's very connected in the community and probably isn't cold call well, and the big way on people the used COIs to. too like yeah. COIs are huge for me centers of influence when we're saying COIs if we didn't say, say that before but I mean COIs are the way that you get the majority of your w- wealthy clients or the way I get the majority of my wealthy clients in financial advising like if I could have started over seven years ago I've been in the industry seven years now and just focused purely on growing my COIs, my centers of influence and having a really good referral network, I would have done that. The first four and a half years, I focused more on the way you were talking about. The way I was taught to from other senior advisors was you get a a list of of, of prospects and you start calling on that list of prospects and you just grind until you get them. And honestly, at first, that's kind of what you have to do. Remember we talked about sometimes you got to follow the roadmap until you can learn the system to go and create your own methods. So, and then you'd start disrupting those methods. What I've come to found out though, or find out, excuse me, is that there are a lot of mediocre people in a lot of industries, right? And they all want to tell you how to do it. And the idea is there is no perfect way to do it. When I meet with young guys or gals who want to get into financial advising, I tell them, it's like, I honestly can't tell you what it is that worked exactly for me. I can tell you some things that I did and some things that I think are different that I did than most advisors that I think maybe got me to where I am. There's a lot of thinking in that sentence right there, but I can't tell you exactly what it was. But I did things differently. I can tell you that than the average advisor. I didn't cold call. I didn't go to the fair. I did one day of cold calling and I figured out that wasn't going to work for me. I did not enjoy it. The people that I wanted to work with were not answering the phones. And so, I mean, think differently, right? If I want to work with million dollar households, I'm not going to meet million dollar households by calling them on the phone anymore. It's like, I've got to get to where those people are networking at, where they're socializing at, be it out at the lake, be it at a country club, wherever the heck they're going to be, maybe playing soccer, you know, Stephen used to coach soccer, maybe the kids that uh, like you said are a little more affluent right more affluent families in a soccer club so maybe it's on the sidelines of a soccer field who knows but think <laughs> you have differently that to look forward to I mean we honestly we sponsored a local I'm not sure if I want to say names basically a local club for for kids that are in uh, basketball and anytime it's a club that's usually a more affluent families right so we gave thousands of dollars to this club and we've gotten more 
basically recognition out of that few thousand bucks that we donated uh, on an annual basis to this club than we're going to get out of if I just went and bought a traditional advertisement in the newspaper, right? It's like, so disrupting your advertising, disrupting your routine, like all of these things are positive. Think differently. No, you know your industry better than anybody else by this time. One of the worst things anybody can ever say to me when I ask a question, and I'm very inquisitive, it doesn't matter if it's my own industry or someone else's, I want to know why you're doing it, how you're doing it, has it been successful, what's your return on investment, and it can be on anything. And the worst thing you can ever say to me is, we've always done it that way. Oops. I stop taking people seriously when they say that sometimes. You know, I came across that a lot in the soccer industry. Well, we've always done it that way. If you look at the US national team, always doing it the same way that it's always been done is going to give the same results. They've been unsuccessful, not the women, the men, but the men have been very unsuccessful in the grand scheme. They have gone from catastrophe to catastrophe, Clearly something's broken at the grassroots level and isn't isn't translating into that that high caliber player at the professional level and at the international level. It's it's really a terrible, terrible thing to say. We've always done it that way. Or that's how I was taught to do it and I've never disrupted it. Well when was the last time we reviewed this process? I think it's important not just in our daily lives, but in every industry and in everything you do, and we're gonna we we talked about this in one of our other recordings that when someone tells tells me that they're busy, I say, well, what have you been busy doing? Yeah. And it, it's a similar thing. Like when someone says, I've always done it that way. And it's like, yeah, but how could you make it better? Just ask a simple question. Well, and this even applies in sales, right? So this is a good little sales tip that we started using in the office too. Uh, a colleague and I were, were chatting about it and it's uh, sometimes, you know, there's generational wealth in my industry too. And sometimes families are hesitant to change up the investment mix that they have in their portfolio because their granddad owned that particular stock or that particular company and bought, you know, dang it anyway, it was a good, good for him. So it's good for me. Did he own Blockbuster? Yeah, exactly. Did he own Blockbuster? That's funny. But the idea is it's like, we always ask the question, it's like, oh, was your grandpa a pretty innovative guy? Like he... He, he was oh he was at the forefront of everything. It's like so. Do you think your grandfather would still own this stock? Oh well, <laughs> well shoot. I, yeah, he's pretty innovative. Maybe not. It's like so. Do you think maybe we should change it up? Changing it or excuse me, not changing necessarily, but spinning it back on them even sometimes too. Disruption is like hey, pretty innovative guy or did he always just pretty mediocre? I'm going to ask Ben a difficult question and oh. and see what he says. And I want you, if you're listening to this, ask it of yourself. But what can you? How can you disrupt? your industry what could you do now not what you have done but what can you do from here to the end of 2019 mm. that's different to disrupt what you've been doing in a positive way so you think well i guess we could take this two ways we could go it's totally industry or what can i do within my industry yeah. to disrupt right so some of the routines that i, I mean i think this is disruptive to our industry <laughs> honestly uh, there's not too many advisors out there that are jumping on a uh on a on a mic behind a mic because a lot of the time our compliance departments won't let us do it so i have to be pretty careful about what i say so the our social media uh we're getting more aggressive on that and i think and how we target that we could certainly be more more targeted in our social media presence and that is certainly disruptive again not many 
uh, not many firms are doing much in the way of social media marketing because, again, of compliance. So we're so heavily regulated. I know as are, are you guys in the credit card space that sometimes we're handcuffed in what we can do. So it doesn't really take a whole lot to stand outside of, of the norm just because it's so weird. Uh, as far as what I personally could do to, to, to disrupt maybe my own business is, is how I'll spin this. I mean, there's certainly things that I'm not doing that I could do, right? Like I don't go to networking events anymore. I could probably get back into doing that. Uh, I know that's not disruption in a big way, but you don't it's do after work networking events, but you are just showing up to lunches and things like that. Correct, and I'm doing more of the focused COI networking, I guess, too. Which is, I guess, some of that is is the root of past disruption, and that now I've now focused in because it started to work. I've seen seen the fruits of the COI labor, if you will. But I'd have to think a little more on really what I would truly disrupt because I don't yeah it's, it's last year it worked pretty well <laughs> I'm obviously disrupting my normal routine in the health health and wellness side of things too with working out on a daily basis that's been a massive disruption to my to routine this even the podcast sometimes finding the time has been a big disruption to, to my routine and making it work from a business standpoint though it's a tough one I'm not sure what I uh, what I can change I mean I can definitely be more intentional I definitely can call make more calls when I get a lead I'm not always the best about following up I'm better than most I will say but I can there's still room for progress and I know there's room for progress right just because I'm better than most with that doesn't mean I'm the best I can be you also have to toe that line between being pushy and aggressive and, and, yeah. and being hey we'll do this at your speed in your way you do and I think you gauge your audience with that yeah. right like I don't I know there's some people that you get an email back it's like how you been good it's like okay you're chatty kathy it's like do you want to get together no you're like okay well i'm not going to keep pushing on you you're pretty straightforward <laughs> yeah so it's so and and I'll, I'll answer the same question even though i'm the one that asked it so for me social media has always been a personal thing i did not utilize social media very often for professional for professional gain so to speak i got really active on linkedin about three to four months ago and just in December, basically made an announcement by video on LinkedIn that I'm going to start posting regular video content. And I have to give a shout out to Matt Rogers for that. If you don't know who Matt Rogers is, he's the guy that presents the Discovery Channel. So whether it's uh, Deadliest Catch or um, what's the gold one, Gold Rush. So he works for Heartland. He does great video content on LinkedIn. He's fun. He's engaging. And he's kind of the inspiration behind it. I'm like, you know, I'm not famous by any stretch, nor do I know if I want to be famous, but he uses his audience to get his Heartland message out there. And, I, you know, it was it was kind of a watershed moment for me in December when I was like, I'm going to do that. So 2019, I'm going to make the transition from social media being a purely personal thing and sharing the things that I do when I travel and fun things I do every day to let's document what I'm doing for work, why I'm doing what I'm doing and how people that see that can benefit from it if they're not working with me. So social media for work is going to be a massive, massive change for me, disruption if you like. And it's been front and center in my mind, you know, there's a little tripod that I carry with me in my laptop case that I can set up anywhere and do a quick video. Ben and I are actually going to do one after the podcast to announce the launch of it. You know, it's been handy. Again, sticking with that, I actually had a, a kind of positive and negative in the same day someone was making fun of me for posting a gym selfie and I know they can be obnoxious so on a day-to-day -day basis 
I have my routine and I usually post a quote from an app called Motivation App. Take a quick picture at the gym. It's usually on a story on Instagram. It's not like a, a traditional social media post. And then throughout the day, I'll show people what I'm doing. Someone was making fun of me for posting these and I kind of took it on the chin and laughed about it. And I was kind of thinking maybe I shouldn't do this. People are annoyed by it. Well, the same day later in the afternoon, three different people commented on the quote. A couple of them said, hey, I love that you go to the gym every day. Seeing you there actually makes me go. And in no way, shape or form am I trying to influence or be that person that, hey, I, I don't want anybody to rely on me because like anybody else, I have my flaws and, and miss and yeah, I'm not get perfect, there, don't look at me. <laughs> then about a week later, I didn't post anything for a day. And it was just because I was busy. I mean, I was in and out of the gym quick. I was running around. I did not have the time to take my phone out, make a post. And I got people commenting that, hey, I didn't see you post today. It was kind of eye-opening for me. I was like, okay, so one person was upset. One person was upset, and I disrupted my routine, and some people were upset about it. So one person was upset with what my routine usually was, but it was more positive feedback on what my routine wasn't that one day. Well, I think you got to do what works for you, too, right? Like, you, you like to do that. Yeah. So you'll also see Ben and I have obviously social media for the podcast O2E Journey if you don't follow us on Facebook and Instagram. And there will be a website somewhere down the line. We just haven't got to that part in the development. Follow us and follow this journey in that regard as well. And if you want to chime in and talk about what we're doing and how you tell us how we should day, disrupt our yeah. podcast. I guess, let me say something first, too, because I guess it was just kind of, I was just thinking about it as you're talking about, like, we're not perfect, right? And I guess that is kind of like a disclaimer that I kind of almost want to get out there, too, is like, Stephen and I aren't pretending to be the best in our industry or or the healthiest. So you might see (laughs) us on the street sometime and be like, these are the health and fitness guys? Like, no, I, I still have a tire around my stomach, right? Like, I'm not making millions of dollars a year at this point. I hope to get there. I'd love to make millions of dollars a year. But don't think that we're trying to project on everybody our way is the only way, right? Yeah, cheeseburgers will always be a part of my life. <laughs> yeah, it's beer is tasty. Pizza. We're not know, perfect. We, we love it all. So what this is about more than anything is finding that balance for us. You know, we want to get... We want to be healthy, but we want to have balance. We want to, you know, have our business in shape, but also be able to say, hey, I'm 90 hours deep this week. I'm taking two days off next week. Yeah, there's there's a big part about that. We're not infallible, nor do we claim to be, nor do we expect everybody to do the things no. we are doing. According to Ben's trainer, which I don't know if he's still going to use him, but when he joined the gym, you get some free sessions, and he was working out with a trainer. And I'm going as to see f- him on Monday when I'm back <laughs> from vacation, right? As a familiarity exercise, I set them up on what we call the bro split. And some of you that are really into health and fitness might be cringing. But what I wanted them to do was get familiar with certain exercises, working why we work the chest in different ways, why we do five or six different exercises to work the chest, the shoulders, so on and so forth. And then what we'll do is we'll morph into phase two, which is going to be chest and tries and back and buys and you know two exercise groups per day or two muscle groups per day so when he showed the workout plan which i've been doing for three or four months by the way to his trainer the trainer told him that anybody that does this must be on steroids or something to that effect yeah um which obviously if you know me is not the case uh if i was on steroids i was on the street (laughs) i would look a heck of a lot better if i was on steroids or i'd be asking for a refund but yeah it's um 
we're not infallible we're not expecting any of you guys to to follow what we do but you know we're going to have some success be it limited or or a lot of success and we we hope you guys can gain some insight from it so moving on on the disruption thing i guess i have one more thing that i would really like to discuss and then i do too and it's uh (laughs) i guess i'll ask ben again and put him under the gun which industries do you think need the most disruption which industries do you think need brought politics (laughs) is that even an industry (laughs) politicians have turned it into an industry I mean, but seriously, think about it. I mean, this is probably not an area we want to get too far down, but there are plenty of of things in politics that need disruption. Maybe term limits. I don't know. We could talk about that. Yeah. Well, everybody wants term limits until their candidate wins, and then they want them taken away again, right? Yeah. So that's kind of a a double-edged sword as well. Yeah. It's. uh, I, I wouldn't disagree with you. I don't know that politics is an industry per se, uh, a lot of people make money in it. I don't know that a lot of people make money in it the right oh, way. Oh, it's an industry. <laughs> it's an industry. Yeah. And if I had to pull one, healthcare obviously is in a lot of flux right now, whether it be not necessarily insurance, although that's that also needs to, I mean, it needs reform top to bottom, uh, not just health insurance, but all insurance. In the, in the health industry, we need to get away from, you know, I think top to bottom providers. When you own the insurance, own the clinics, own the drug companies. Those that are vertically integrated. Yeah, those vertical integrated industries. I'm not sure that those are necessarily a positive. Although, I'll throw this out there and say, I think Kaiser Permanente have been responsible for some amazing innovations in how you visit the doctor. You can now do it over a a laptop face to face with a doctor and by video. But there's a lot of them out there now that are doing the teleconference type thing with a doc. And, you know, you can, as long as you're not, you don't have any kind of previous for, for misuse, you yeah. can you can visit your doctor without visiting have your doctor. Have you ever used one of those? I haven't. I don't believe in it. You <laughs> like haven't? face-to-face. See, I I am all about, like, so I use one called MD Live. And it's like, it has been great. Because there's so many times where I would not go to urgent care or I would I just grit and get through it right and they're like what would be the alternative if you didn't have MD live to you and it's like so I've had things where you know I got an infection or something like that and they put you on antibiotics and the infection isn't in somewhere nasty people so don't make it don't make it weird (laughs) (laughs) to clarify that it's I can't even remember where it was or what it was honestly I think I had an earache one time too and so they prescribed something for that right it's like it's was five minutes that I was on maybe between getting like going on clicking the button say let me see a provider getting on and then getting a prescription and it saved me hours of having to go sit in urgent care spend hundreds of dollars for the urgent care visit I mean it's I pay for this monthly subscription to MD live and that's it yeah and I'm, I'm like a that's a great disruption for healthcare. <laughs> I love that yeah. disruption I don't I don't hate the concept I'm a typical man though I go to the doctor once a year for my annual checkup which I have in a couple of weeks by the way and I, uh, <laughs> I also are you are you are you to the point avoid yet the where doctor they have otherwise the, have the finger? Um, no, uh, I believe they start putting the finger up the bum at fifty. So I have I have thirteen years still. Thanks very much, Ben. <laughs> <laughs> Something to look forward to. <laughs> I also reminded my dad every day on the way up to him turning fifty that it was coming his way. So <laughs> happy birthday to you. <laughs> <laughs> That's not. Why not? I think it's funny. 
Okay, we're going to get to my stuff now. I guess the idea of disrupting how you present yourself in your industry, right? So mine would be, I would say like, oh, I'm a financial advisor. It's like, that is the most boring and uninnovative way of introducing yourself. So we talked about the idea of using unique selling propositions, right? What is your unique selling proposition? So I was reading this thing today and I was like, that's a really good idea, right? Disrupting the way that you even present yourself to people. So consider your audience, but some of the things that I was saying, instead of saying I'm a financial advisor, it's like, I help business owners transition out of their business and into an income stream, right? So it's like, wow, that sounds a lot more interesting than I'm a financial advisor. Most business owners, when I say that, they're like, oh, interesting, and then move on. You know, They don't ask any more questions. But if I say something like that, that's going to be more engaging, and more people, if they're a business owner especially, are going to want to talk about that. So the idea, another one is, uh, I help 30-year-olds develop a plan to financial independence. So it's like, well, I'm in my 30s. Like, I sure love the idea of financial independence. Like, well, how do you do that? Mm-hmm. It's like, so creating sayings if you will consider your audience obviously and anything you do i know steven has things that he does like this as well too it's you work with a lot of restaurants so i'm sure you have some unique selling proposition with restaurants that maybe you'll share here in a sec but consider your audience and then tailor how you introduce yourself instead of just using a title right so steven what's your yeah. do you have a one you use well I, I have a funny story and then I'll, I'll talk about what i've done to to sort of twofold reason reasoning behind it so my job title is relationship manager it sounds like uh i'm an online dating consultant i think and my one of our you know him as well long hair don't need to say his name on on the podcast anyway he got a handful of my business cards one night and he decided that the girls he was going to give the business cards to he was going to have them call me to hook him up because I was his relationship manager and he laughed like a hyena about it and I was horrified about it but what it made me do was it made me stink I looked at my my business card and said first off I don't give business cards to everybody Uh, I actually want to connect beyond just handing a business card to somebody but the people that I do leave a business card for I'm like well if that just says relationship manager and they don't know what Heartland does I have a problem or it could be argued that I hadn't done my job properly. So I changed my business card. I actually added, um, we can add specific titles. So on my business cards now, it says Stephen Brown Relationship Manager. And underneath that, it says Business Solutions Consultant, which really puts me in a position of power because regardless of the industry, regardless of the vertical, I'm able to draw from our huge portfolio a solution that can also work for them. Because we have, we have, customers all over the country and then that's transitioned and morphed again over the course of four years to I ask people in fact I'll go beyond ask I don't ask them I implore them to use me as a resource we talked about being a connector and disrupting things I have a group of people that operate in similar industries and verticals to me that I recommend not only am I talking about my industry and the things that that I do and can help them with I'm also bringing a group of people of whom Ben's one, by the way, who I can say, hey, you're looking for somebody that does financial planning or you're, you know, somebody's trying to roll over a Roth IRA or something like that, Ben's the guy. Down the line, maybe they're going to be looking for a home lender. Well, guess what? I got somebody that does that. Or you're looking for somebody to do linens and, and you know, chemicals for your restaurant or bar to keep your, your dishes clean and, you know, all that stuff. 
we know people that do that as well. So it's kind of more from me just talking about my industry to trying to tie things in and introduce people to multiple different industries at the same time. And I tell people to expect that. I tell them I'm going to have somebody stop by. If you say no to them, that's fine. Don't feel obliged. Yeah, absolutely. But well, I'm about ready to wrap it up. I am bone, rise up, ting, ting, like glitter and gold. I got fire in my soul, rise up, ting, ting, like glitter.